<laughs> All right, friends, Greg Kokel here, and uh, welcome to the show. Uh, today's a very special day. It is, as I'm broadcasting, September 12th, 2023, the very day of the launch of Street Smarts. So it's just been released. Many of you who um, purchased the book in advance on Amazon, it is being shipped out as we speak, and uh, folks are weighing in with their opinions about the book. So far, so good. Glad to see the good reports. And as some of you, because of uh, special arrangements with Stand to Reason, maybe you came to our 30th anniversary and uh, you had a chance to get a hold of the book. Um, maybe you've already read the book and want to uh, weigh in on Amazon with your opinion. Uh, that's fine. I, mean, I kind of hope it's a five-star opinion. Um, but uh, go ahead and weigh in. And many of you who have not yet received the book, if you want to go to Amazon and read some of the reviews, and if there's a five-star review that you liked it was helpful, hit the helpful button because that has a way of keeping the five-star reviews up at the top. So far, I'm, I'm batting a thousand with five-star reviews, but I think there's only about six or seven reviews up. Uh, in any event, it's it's like a, a jazz moment for Mr. Kokel. I'm so glad about this, and we had a little, what, not, I was going to say cake, but it wasn't cake, it was pie for lunch here and a little celebration, and uh, team members were saying, well, you're all done. And I said, well, I am done with the hard part. Now is the, in a certain sense, the more fun part. Uh, People might find it surprising to um, hear that I, I'm not exactly fond of writing, all right? It's kind of like being fond of working out. There are people who like working out, okay? I never really liked working out. I like having worked out. <laughs> and it, I, it's behind me. It did me good. It's great. I feel better, but I'm glad it's done. And the same way with writing. It's it's a workout. It's hard work, pull, 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 pull to get the work done. And uh, hopefully being a student of my craft and having a lot of help from others like Amy Hall and Nancy Ulrich and other team members, I, uh, I, I, can, I, I end up delivering something better than I wrote. And uh, now the hard work is done. Um, I, I like having written, and now I, it is the case that I have written Street Smarts. It's on the market today, and you can go to str.org and order it there, or you can go to uh, Amazon and get it there if you like. I actually think it's cheaper at str.org, um, so unusually so. But this is a longer book than usual. It isn't like the tactics or story of reality, which are shorter. Story of reality is 55,000 words. Street Smarts is 85,000 words, over 300 pages, because there's lots of really good stuff in there. I would like you to buy the book. And I'd like you to buy the book, not just because I'm the author, I guess that's part of the reason, but mostly because the book is going to be good for you, especially in tandem with tactics. Um, Street Smarts is an extension of the tactics book. It's a sequel to the tactics book. It's a standalone book. And I'll tell you in a few moments a little bit about the genesis of the book so you get a sense of what I focus in on there. But um, it's, uh, it's a standalone book that benefits from anything that you might have learned in the tactics book. So you don't have to have the first one. I get you up to speed on the tactical game plan in the second, but the two together are a great one, two, 
punch. And I'll tell you how this all came about. Um, Zondervan, my publisher, has approached me a few times asking me to do a general apologetics book, you know. And I thought, why? There's lots of general apologetics books out there written by very capable people, many whom I know. And it's hard for me to imagine that I could improve much on what they've already done. Yes, in a certain sense, I have my own public footprint, and Stand to Reason has its crowd and its tribe and its community and everything. And if I write something, then that'll appeal in a special way to our people. But I don't know. That's not, for me, a good enough reason to write a book. But then I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, maybe I can do a book that covers basic apologetics issues, especially those that are hot topics now, but does so from a tactical perspective. Now, of course, in the tactics book, I lay out the game plan there, and the game plan entails three steps. And the first step is that you're asking questions to, you know, basically get the lay of the land, all right? You're gathering information. You're not trying to make an impact yet. You're not trying to disprove somebody else's view. You're not trying to advance Christianity. You're not trying to win anybody to Christ. You're just trying to figure out what you're up against. And it's a safe maneuver, because if you're only asking questions to find out what the other person's view is, using some form of the question, what do you mean by that? Uh, there, is no, there is no God. What do you mean there is? What kind of God don't you believe in? Well, I'm an atheist. What kind of atheist are you? Belief in God is irrational. Really? What's irrational about it? You're forcing your view on me. You shouldn't be doing that. How am I forcing my view on you right now? You're intolerant. What does that mean? These are all variations of that same initial question. What do you mean by that? You're just gathering more information. And in the second step of the game plan, many of you know this, you're gathering a different kind of information. I call it reversing the burden of proof, but of course the, the point there is just to find out, once you find out what a person believes, you want to find out why they believe that belief is worth believing, okay? And that's why I offer one form of the question, uh, or some form of the question, there's many variations, of uh, how did you come to that conclusion? Or why do you think that's the case? Or why do you think that's the way it really happened? Why do you believe that? Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Now, I realize that in these first two steps of the game plan, which many of you are familiar with, that it, for people who are new to this, it, it's maybe a little surprising to them and counterintuitive, because they're thinking, wait, are you asking me to ask them to give me more of their challenge? Here they are challenging Christianity, or they're advancing their own non-Christian view, and you're asking me to let them talk more and help me understand their view more, so that it's harder on me? Well, the answer is yes, but it's not going to be harder on you. Yes, I want you to draw them out. Yes, I want you to fully understand their view. Yes, I want you to understand if they can tell you any of the reasons why they hold their view. Why? Because if their view is false, which is what our conviction is, if their view is false, the more they talk, probably the digger, huh, <laughs> the digger, 
the bigger they are digging their hole that they'll fall into. Okay, the bigger they are, the larger they fall, or the harder they fall, right? Okay, so this is, this is what I'm talking about. If you have the truth, the more a person talks about a falsehood, the more, as a generalization, the more obvious the falsehood becomes. Now, they don't necessarily see it, but by giving you more information, they are giving you more to work with to then employ the third step of the game plan. And that third step is you're still using questions, but you're using questions to make a point. You're using questions to make a point. All right. And this is where street smarts comes in. I'm using the phrase street smarts to describe a more sophisticated um, use of the third step of the game plan. So when I say the street, what do I mean by the street? The street is anywhere you feel vulnerable or out of your element or exposed to danger. Okay. When you think about like I live in LA. So South Central, that's dangerous. You don't want to drive there. You don't want to walk there, right? You don't want to, you don't fly over. <laughs> you stay away. Why? Because it's dangerous. Unless, of course, you're equipped to face the danger. If you're MMA or, you know, some kung fu expert or uh, you got a gun or something like that, if you're capable, then it's not that big of a threat. For us, for Christians, a lot of them, the street, the place they feel vulnerable or out of their element, is just about any place nowadays where they um, are talking about their own spiritual or ethical convictions, the ethical convictions that follow naturally from a Christian view of reality. Okay? I mean, it could be the office, a uh, classroom, it could be uh, somewhere in your community, uh, you're with friends, or uh, any place you gather for community. Um, it might be your family, your extended family. Everything's fine with all of these groups until you touch on those topics, and then trouble brews, which is why many Christians don't touch on those topics, because they're not equipped. They're, they're, they're frightened because they don't have the answers, uh, they also, I think, have a wrong understanding of evangelism, the nature of evangelism, how evangelism is supposed to work. We follow a certain pattern now, 2,000 years later, than the early church followed. I'll talk about more about that in a moment. But we have a wrong view of evangelism, and, uh, and we don't have a plan. This is why I think a lot of Christians are just afraid of the street. And by the way, I don't blame them. Uh, it's dangerous out there. Uh, not physically dangerous uh, at the moment so much, but it is dangerous in the sense that you can get hammered uh, in dialogue with people. You can lose friends. Some people can even lose their job, depending on what issue is at stake and how strong you stand for the truth. That's the way it's become in our culture. And consequently, a lot of Christians face that danger spiritually in the street, and so they stay off the street. And to mix my metaphors, they sit on the bench instead of getting into the game. Okay, the problem is they're not street smart. And that's why I wrote the book, so that people can get more street smart. And in specific, um, 
I, I, what I want them to be capable of doing is navigating in the street in a productive fashion. So it, it, it's, for the purposes of the book, street smarts in evangelism is, one, the ability to see the flaws in someone else's viewpoint, or maybe in a challenge that they make to your own viewpoint. So it might be a problem with their view, say atheism, or pro-choice, or pro-gender fluidity, or something like that, or, or pro-some sexual thing that is not consistent with Christianity. That's their view. Or it might be some challenge that they make to our own viewpoint. What about the problem of evil, for example? Common challenge that's offered, okay? And that the, so the first thing is the ability to see the flaws in that challenge or that opposing point of view. The second thing in being street smart is the ability in a relaxed manner to maneuver shrewdly to expose the flaw or to neutralize the challenge. And hopefully in the process, get the other person thinking, all right? Get them thinking. And that's the goal. Get them thinking. Put a stone in their shoe. Not swinging for the fence, not trying to win every person to Christ. In fact, I'm going to speak in a certain sense against that mentality, but I have to qualify it so you don't misunderstand. We are not trying to get people to pray to receive Christ, okay? We're trying to get them thinking about some particular issue that I have revealed to them through the process that I just described that I call street smarts, so that over time, this begins to work on them. And not just what I say, but what other people say in their lives to get them going. Now, this, what I've just described, is what I call gardening. Okay, you've got, you've got sowing and reaping, you have gardening and harvesting. Um, how about this? There's not going to be any harvest unless first you have a season of gardening. There's not going to be any harvest unless first you have a season of gardening, okay? I mean, no duh. This is obvious. But what has happened is our approach to evangelism ever since uh, mid-19th century, 1800s, the Second Great Awakening, there was a, a shift and something began happening that you never see in the New Testament. You don't see it in the Gospels. You certainly don't see it in the book of Acts. You have people, be, you have people being invited to pray, be, to pray to receive Christ. Uh, that might be in a one-on-one -on -one situation. There's a little booklet. There's a little Gospel presentation. There's the prayer at the end. Pray to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Or there might be a an altar call in which you're asked to come forward and pray to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I'm not against that. I've done that. I've used the booklets. Um, I, I've given altar calls as a speaker uh, on request. There's nothing wrong with those things per se, except that this is the way many Christians think they have to do it in order to do evangelism. And if they're not winning anyone to Christ, if they haven't prayed with someone to receive Christ, there's something spiritually wrong with them. They're not being productive the way they're, they ought to be productive as a fruitful follower of Christ. 
So just let me make an observation. There are no altar calls in the New Testament. There are no opportunities where people are given to pray to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. It just isn't done. Now, is the gospel going forth? Yes, in its different forms. There are pieces to the gospel. There's the good news and the bad news, to put it most simply. Also, there are different ways of characterizing the good news and characterizing the bad news. And when we look at the preachments in the book of Acts, there are 13 of them where the apostles are preaching. These are the people that Jesus trained to follow after him. They do it in different ways, but the emphasis is largely the same. And just to kind of blow your mind a little bit, the emphasis is not on the love of God. In fact, they never preach the love of God when they preach the gospel in the Gospels, I mean, in the book of Acts. Now, is the love of God manifest there? Yeah, sure it is. But that isn't the way they kind of approach this. They approach it in different ways, with different language, and, and depending on the circumstances. And uh, so there, and these, all, all these approaches of communicating the truth about Jesus and God and God's kingdom and God's plan, we're, we're all called preaching the Word. You read in the book of Acts of preaching the Word, they're not quoting Bible verses. There weren't any Bible verses to quote, not New Testament ones at least, and they aren't going to quote the Old Testament to Gentiles. No, they were communicating the substance of the news of Jesus and man's need for him as a rescuer and the coming of the kingdom of God that we surrender to and submit ourselves under to be his children in a very special way. See, how great of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. That's First John chapter 3, I think, but it's a beautiful passage. I just remember it because it just—I <laughs> like the rhythm. It sticks with me, and what it says is so rich. It just touches my heart because this is part of the message, and there are different ways to communicate that. But here's what happened in the New Testament. No altar calls. No pray to receive Christ. Instead, there was gardening and gardening, and gardening, and gardening. And when it was time for a harvest, in a certain sense, and this may sound really bizarre, but in a certain sense, those who became Christians harvested themselves. Now, of course, that isn't literally true. God harvested them, but an individual didn't do the harvest. They didn't pray with people to receive Christ. They just believed. The people believed. Look at the sermon on uh, in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. Peter's railing, man, he's railing on these Jews who crucified Christ. This Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And the text is, you know, we're cut to the quick. They were ready. What do we do? Repent, turn, believe, receive. And they did. In, in the thousands, okay? And um, there you have the message communicated, and then the, the, the harvest brought in as a result of the communication of the message. Okay, so I'm going to—just to underscore this, this notion, and, and all I'm saying here is that w- the reason I'm telling you this about Acts is not to, like, dissuade you from altar calls or using tracts to pray with people to receive Christ. Some people are really good at that. Okay? 
What I'm trying to show you is that's not the only way to do it. And in fact, it isn't the standard way in the New Testament. It isn't harvest mode in the New Testament. It is gardening mode, which then results in a rich harvest in God's time. So what I did in the last, I think I've, I've spoken on this five or six times in the last few weeks on Street Smarts, because we're launching the book today. And, uh, and I, I'm, you know, gearing up. I've had people invite me to their conferences and whatever to talk about this topic. And so I have. And I've decided to start taking a poll. And the poll with these Christian audiences is how many people are Christian here who did not become Christian by praying the sinner's prayer or coming forward to an altar call. I had no idea how many would respond. I figured there'd be a number. But it turns out with the first two large audiences, one-third of the people in the audience raised their hands as people who were Christians who did not become Christian by praying to receive Christ or coming forward in an altar call. In other words, they, they weren't even following the modern plan. And then the next three audiences I did it with, it was close to 90%. 90%. Almost all the hands went up. Which demonstrates that the way most people become Christians is through effective gardening and not through vigorous, aggressive attempts at harvesting. Even in my case, now almost 50 years ago, just in two weeks or so, I'll be 50 years a Christian. That night, September 28, 1973, my brother started sharing Christ with me some more, and I said, Mark, you don't have to tell me any more about Jesus. I've already decided I want to become a Christian. What happened? He bumped into the ripe fruit and it fell into the basket. No difficulty at all. I was ready to go. I harvested myself, is one way of putting it. But of course, you know it was the Holy Spirit that harvested me the way God does. He changed my heart. Hey, many of you know John Noyce from Stand to Reason, right? John was an atheist. Now he's a Christian. When did he become a Christian? He doesn't know. Somewhere along the line, within the space of maybe six or eight months, he transferred over. I read another person's account of their life, and she said, I suddenly realized that if somebody were to ask me, are you a Christian? I would say, yeah, I guess I am, because that's where her convictions um, ended up after this process of being gardened in different ways by different people. Okay, we're going to take a break in a minute, and I'm going to come back here to these comments, because I, I want now to, sh when I return, I want to show you, once you've got this gardening thing in your mind, which I'm, I'm hoping, I can't see your faces, but I know what I see when I talk to an audience, mostly happy faces, as people are thinking, oh my goodness, I can do this. I'm not too comfortable with trying to pray with people to receive Christ, but I can try to put a stone in their shoe if I have the tools. And that's what I want to talk to you about next, about exactly how the Street Smarts material um, allows you to garden most effectively with regards to really substantial 
challenges that people face in the culture right now. I'm Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Be back in just a moment. Do you have a passion to train people in apologetics, but you don't know where to start? You may be interested in starting an STR Outpost. STR Outposts are local communities of Christians seeking answers to the hard questions about Christianity. Each outpost is led by a qualified director who trains others with STR content and curriculum in their local church. By becoming an outpost director, you will be equipped with the content and coaching you need to lead your own outpost. We currently have more than 60 outposts across the country, and we're adding more each month. If you're interested in learning more about starting an outpost or you want to find a current outpost in your area, visit str.org outposts. You can also email me, Robbie Lashua, at outposts at str.org. The documentary, What is a Woman?, sparked all kinds of debate. But did the film give a sufficient answer to the question? Well, I'd like to offer an improved definition in the latest episode of my podcast, Thinking Out Loud with Alan Schleeman. Look for it on Spotify, iTunes, your favorite podcast app, or at the top of the homepage at str.org. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Wow, uh, Amy just did a check on Amazon for me, and uh, actually, I didn't ask her to do it. She, I just heard a wow, and uh, when I started the show, I was ranked just under 2,000 in sales in Amazon here, which is, that's pretty decent, right, of the millions of books that are on Amazon. Uh, this is in the top 2,000. She just checked them at, what is it, 833? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. That's great. So you guys must be uh, responding on Amazon or something. I don't know, but I'm glad to see that. And um, so that's great. And speaking of numbers, um, I just wanted to just take a moment to say thank you to all of our new partners that responded to the Be One of the 100 campaign. We have not just 100 or 150 or 200. We have 211 new partners who responded to the Be One of the 100 campaign in August. That, that's, that's a personal best for us. I think two years ago we had 209, and now we got 211. So gra- glad to have all of you faithful folk that are on board with us as, as strategic partners. I just wanted to, wow, just thank you. We're very excited here at Sander Reason to have you on board, which, by the way, includes um, 41 different states 
and eight different countries. That includes the USA. So apart from us, seven other countries. Are we counting Canada? Does that count as a country? Yeah, it does. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. We're very excited. And not only that, um, since we are in uh, the fall now, gearing up very rapidly for our reality events, first one being September 22nd and 23rd, that's a week and a half about from now in Orange County, we have 1,866 people signed up, which is fabulous. We, uh, the venue holds 2,200. Now, there is some room over at uh, Biola University where we're holding the event this year to get uh, to, to do some overflow but we'll fill the auditorium with 2200 we are well on our way in fact we are we are further along in the numbers this year than we have been the last few years at the same time so the 22nd 23rd Orange County in Biola um, on the 10, 13, October 13th and 14th in Washington. We have 913 people signed up. That's six weeks out. The venue holds 1,000 people before we have to go to overflow. So we're just, uh, what is that, 87 shy of a sellout of an event that comes in in, uh, in six weeks. We've got, all, we got 821 people in Minneapolis that have signed up, and uh, that's on... November 10th and 11th. And by the way, I think the early bird deadline for Minnesota is this Friday, September 15th. So if you want to save a few bucks, sign up right away. But uh, things are going really great. If you, We have a fabulous um, enterprise uh, conference set up for you. Our team is already practicing to, do, to give you the best kind of education you, that you possibly can have to train your middle schoolers and your high schoolers in in how to stand tall for Christ in this culture. And I need to say this, in case there's any misunderstanding, we are not checking IDs at the door. So if you're not a middle schooler or not a high schooler, you can still come. You can be a geriatric as far as—I'm a geriatric, okay? I'm an old guy. Jay Warner's just turned 60, right? He's not on the team. This year we have Sean McDowell on the team instead, and a whole bunch of other people. Our main team, Sean, Megan, Almond, uh, Dinesh uh, Garrison, uh, we've got a, a great group of people to educate you. Uh, just simply go to um, realityapologetics.com. That's it, realityapologetics.com, and you can get all the information there. Um Oh, Friday, September 15th. So that's just coming up. I've got to say it now. Alan Schleeman will be speaking on the case for an intelligent designer down in San Diego County, where he lives, at North Coast Calvary Chapel in Carlsbad. That's Friday, September 15th. Okay. Uh, Then he visits uh, Hesperia, California on Saturday, September 31st, a couple weeks later, to speak at the Reasonable Truth Gravity Conference at Sovereign Way Christian Church. I'm going to be at the Gospel Coalition in Indianapolis speaking on Street Smarts in September, the 25th and the, through the 27th. Then I'm going to be at a bunch of university campuses later that week, University of, um, let's see, Louisville, the University of Kentucky, and a whole bunch more stuff. You can get all the information at str.org slash events if you want to find out where any of our speakers are at and if maybe they'll be somewhere close to you. Okay, so what I've been doing is I've been introducing you to this concept that I call Street Smarts, which is just an extension of the tactical game plan that I wrote about in Tactics 
Now, the book Tactics has the game plan, right? But it's also got a whole bunch of different tactics with names like Taking the Roof Off and Just the Facts, Ma'am, and Road Scholar and Steamroller and Inside Out and What a Friend We Have in Jesus and Sticks and Stones. And these are all different maneuvers that are in the tactics book. I don't repeat all those maneuvers. Of course, in Street Smarts, I go in a different direction. I lay out the importance of the questions. Questions keep you safe. That's a chapter. Then I lay out the game plan, the two steps that I just talked about, getting information from people that about uh, what they believe and why they believe it. And then the third step is a little bit more difficult because it's advanced. You're going to make a point. And the point you're going to make in this particular case is to parry a challenge to Christianity or to maybe reveal or expose a weakness or a flaw in the other person's view. Okay? And this is where you hit a speed bump. Because what you need is three things in order to do that. You can't reveal a flaw that you don't see. You have to see what's wrong with the view. And this is why in each of the areas I described, atheism and problem of evil and abortion and the person of Jesus and problems with the Bible and the Bible and science and sex and marriage and gender and all of that stuff. Did I say abortion? Yeah, whatever. All of that's in there. You, you there. It's a tutorial. The first half of each chapter on each one of these issues is to help you see what's wrong. That's this more standard apologetics. But you need more to take a tactical approach uh, to these problems than just seeing the problem and knowing what's wrong, okay? Because the subtitle of the Street Smarts book is Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. So we're going to expose the flaw and deflect the challenge by using questions. So that means um, you're going to have to not only know the problem, but you know, any time that you explain why a person's view is compromised, no matter what it is, usually there's a series of steps that you have to take to get there, right? You, you, you have this thing, you might say, and then there's this, and there's A, B, C, D, E, and F. There it is, F. That's the conclusion. See how this all adds up. Now, of course, in order to know, uh, in order to get there, you have to know what those steps are. You have to know what the flaw is, and you have to know what the individual steps are to reveal the flaw in your discussion with somebody else. But there's a third problem. Since this is a tactical questioning approach, you need to know the questions that apply to each step that you could be asking to get your your friend involved in a conversation, moving you towards your goal. That's what I provide in Street Smarts. Here's what's wrong, and here's how we're going to get there, A, B, C, D, and E. And here is the first couple of questions you can use to get to that place. All right? And, uh, of course, these are just ramp-up conversations, dialogues that I have, multiple dialogues in each chapter for each issue. Because you never know which way a conversation is going to go. But this will get you started asking the right questions to help uh, get, gain the—what's the best way to put it? You, you, you are, you're going to enlist the person who objects to your view. You're going to enlist them as an ally to help you make your point against their point. 
Okay? So, for example, let's just take the problem of evil. Let me give you a couple of examples of this, and then I'll, I'll get on to my callers here. Let's just say the problem of evil. Now, in this book, I do not try to answer the problem of evil. That's a more involved process, and I've already done that, at least taken my shot at it, in the story of reality. If you have that book, that's where you find it. Hold couple chapters, actually, on it. If you don't have the book, you can get it. But I I deal with that there. Here's what I'm trying to do tactically in, in, in being street smart in dealing with the problem of evil. It's my awareness, it's my knowledge, that the problem of evil is not the problem for Christianity that people think it is. It actually fits right into our story. But it's not even a Christian problem. The problem of evil is a human problem. That is, every human being has to try to figure out why there's evil in the world from the perspective of their own worldview. Make sense? And so when I'm talking to people about these, th- th- this issue, I make it clear that their, theirs is, that m- the problem is not just my problem that even the atheist has to make sense of the problem of evil, all right? And and I am in a position, as a follower of Christ, to make sense of it within my worldview, because our whole story is about the problem of evil. The problem of evil is at home in our story. If there was no problem of evil, there'd be no story. It starts in chapter 3 and doesn't get resolved until 66 books later. Okay? Not so with the atheist. The fact is, it doesn't matter where you live or when you lived, everyone knows something's wrong with the world. And therefore, whatever worldview you end up adopting, it's beholden upon you, given that worldview, to make sense of the problem of of evil, right? From the perspective of the worldview you have adopted, all right? Now, if you basically grasp that, here's how a conversation that I— I might have with a skeptic or a challenger. And if they say to me, okay, well, what about the problem of evil, Christian? My response is, what about it? (laughs) That's a kind of, what do you mean by that, right? Tossing the ball back in their court, let them talk, buys me some time. Well, it's a problem for you, isn't it? Tell me what the problem is. I want them to spell it out. Okay, well, if God's good, then he'd want to get rid of evil. If he's powerful, he'd be able to get rid of evil but they're still evil, so your God doesn't exist. That would be a way of characterizing it. Now, it turns out that that argument doesn't go through, and I talk about that in the story of reality, but I'm not going to take that on right now. I want to show him something else. I'm going to agree with him. Okay, let's just say you're right. You believe in evil, right? Of course I do. That's why I don't believe in God. Okay, so let's just say you're right, and God doesn't exist. All those things that you just described as bad and evil, you know, rape and torture and genocide and, you know, global warming or whatever it happens to be, um, all those things still happen, right? Well, of course they do. That's why they don't believe in God, because of all these evil— Oh, so there's they, they still exist, and they're still evil. Yes, of course they're evil. Well, now I'm confused. Why? I'm just role-playing the conversation for you, friends. Why are you confused? Well, how do you— as an atheist, explain those evils in the world. Now, they might say, well, I don't follow you, and be prepared for people to be confused here. 
Well, you asked me how a good, powerful God could exist when there's so much evil in the world. Right. Now I'm asking, if atheism, your view, is true, how can there be so much evil in the world? Now, they might still not get it. So I'm going to say, well, when you talk about evil, you're basically saying some kind of moral rule has been broken, that the person doing evil has has violated, and that's why you call it evil, right? I guess so. Okay. Where are you getting those rules? Who made those rules? Okay, so now that's the end of that conversation. The whole thing there is in the book. I'm just giving you an example. But notice how I'm going step by step by step by step. I know where I'm going with this. And so I'm using questions to help the other person see where I'm going. And I'm trying to show them that they have not escaped the problem of evil just by getting rid of God. They have an obligation to explain the problem of evil from the perspective of their own worldview. And the difficulty with atheism is they're not going to be able to do that. Because they can't even make sense of the problem of evil within their worldview, yet it is the the very problem of evil that has driven them to atheism in the first place. See the problem? See the conflict? That's what I want them to be stuck with. That's the stone in their shore. Maybe it's a kind of a boulder at this point. That's what I want them walking away, stepping on, thinking about, being troubled by. And I actually happen to know of Christians who used to be atheists who were explicitly troubled by this problem. In Holly Ordway, in her wonderful little memoir about how she became became a Christian, titled Not God's Type, this was what what troubled her. How could she make sense of evil as an atheist, which is the view she held? Okay, so there's just an example of how this works. And notice how by using the questions, I'm, I'm bringing the person along step by step so that they see the problems, hopefully, of their view when we hit the kind of like what a mic drop moment, I guess you might want to call it. All right. Let me give you one more illustration of this, but the, the book is filled with these conversations with the the leading question, as it were, that you can remember to get moving in the conversation, having a sense of where you want to go with it, because I've explained the problem in the text of the chapter. All right. So let's say an atheist says there's no evidence for God. All right. And then I say, so let me ask you a question. If you saw a shoe print in the sand on the beach, what would you conclude? Well, I guess I'd conclude somebody was walking there. Yeah, a person wearing shoes, right? Right. Would you be tempted to think it was a freak accident of nature? I mean, seashells and sand and surf all rolling around together that created the impression that looked like a shoe print but wasn't. Well, that wouldn't make any sense. Well, why not? Because Chance can't produce a shoe print, first of all. And second, there's a better explanation. A person wearing a shoe. Okay, right. Well, exactly. I agree with you. All right. Now, let me give you another example. By the way, see what I'm doing, friends? I'm just asking common sense questions 
right now. Just common sense questions about common sense circumstances. And my friend here, as I'm asking him, is giving me a bunch of pieces that we're putting on the table. He's putting them on the table. He's not going to take them off the table. I'm not putting them there. He is. He's responding to my questions. Okay. So I asked the same kind of question about a blueprint. Let's say you found a blueprint and, and it, of some sort. Would you be tempted to think it was a crazy accident of ink spilled on paper and tossed around by natural forces? No, of course not, for the same reasons. Okay, that uh, time and chance can't make that happen, and there's a better explanation. The person drew the blueprint. Okay, I'm with you. I got it. So, final question. What do you make of the human body? Well, it evolved by chance. And the DNA blueprint for the human body inside of each one of our cells? It evolved by chance. Now, friends, do you see how, when we've led up to this point in the conversation with them answering common sense questions, how ridiculous their statement sounds? And I might kind of close it by asking, why would you believe a human body evolved by chance when you can't believe a simple shoe print in the sand happened by chance? Well, it's possible. Well, what if I agreed? And I said it was possible, which strikes me as unlikely. But do you think it's the most reasonable option. And that's all I'm after, friends. What makes most sense? What's the most reasonable option? What is the best explanation for the way things are? What is the odds-on favorite? Plus, I might add, there's a better explanation. Really? What's that? An intelligent creator. That's it. Now he's got a rock in his shoe. Now think about it. I don't invite him to pray to receive Christ. I'm not swinging for the fences. I'm not even trying to get on base, really. Just get in the botter's box with a series of questions and see what God does. And these were just a few examples. All of that that I've cited is also in the book. Um, these are a few examples of how street smarts works. You're in the third stage of the game plan. You're going to use questions to make a point. The point you're making is to deflect a challenge or to show somebody else's view is compromised. You do that by knowing how it's compromised, either the challenge or the view, and then knowing the steps that you want to get lay down, so to speak, to get to the conclusion that it's compromised, and then have some questions in place to get your friend to participate with you in conversation to lead them down that path to the conclusion that follows from all the evidence that turns out to be in conflict with their view. And that's Street Smarts. That's what I'm trying to do with the book. So I invite you to go to the our website, str.org, to our bookstore, or go to Amazon if you like. Um, if you've read the book, and many of you have because you've gotten it through us, as a special offering, uh, many of those who are now new uh, strategic partners, um, if you got the book and you read it and you like it, then give a review. That would be great. If you haven't read it, read some of the other reviews and say they were helpful. That would help me as well. But long run, get the book. And if you didn't get tactics, no worries. Street Smarts is a standalone book, but it works best with both books. Okay, and so that's my recommendation. Let's go to a quick break, and then we'll come back uh, for a call here before the end of this hour. Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason. Stay with us.
As a high school teacher, I always had a red pen close at hand. When I wasn't in front of my students teaching a lesson, you could find me assessing assignments, grading essays, and evaluating exams. The red pen played a crucial role in the educational development of my students. With it, I questioned their assumptions, exposed their errors, and challenged them to think critically. You see, a good teacher doesn't merely tell his students that they're wrong. A good teacher shows his students why they're wrong so they don't make the same mistakes twice. He corrects because he cares. Last year, I was scrolling through social media, and frankly, I was discouraged at all the bad thinking that undergirded much of what I was reading. Then it hit me. What if someone applied the red pen to this flawed thinking? And red pen logic with Mr. B was born. In the last few months, red pen logic has grown in popularity. Through our engaging and shareable educational graphics and videos, we are helping people, especially young people, assess bad thinking by using good thinking, and we have a lot of fun in the process. So here's your homework assignment. Like the Red Pen Logic Facebook page so you don't miss our next graphic, and subscribe at the Red Pen Logic YouTube channel so you don't miss a single video. Class dismissed. You can take Stand to Reason with you through our mobile apps, available for free from the App Store or the Google Play Store. The Quick Reference app gives you short, easily accessible courses on our most popular topics like tactics, homosexuality in the Bible, morality, the story of reality, and many more. The Stand to Reason app has all our latest content available at your fingertips. You can listen to our podcasts, check the blog, and access timely and practical resources. They're free, so download the apps today on the App Store or the Google Play Store and start carrying Stand to Reason with you everywhere you go. If you enjoy our apps, you can help other people find them by rating them on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Alrighty, back at you here. Let's just jump right into uh, my callers and save time here. This is Larry in Virginia. Larry, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. Hey there. I pre- appreciate your ministry. Oh, thanks. Thank you. And I wanted to let you know I did get my copy of Street Smarts today in the mail. Oh, great. So, uh, excited about that. Okay. What I've uh, what I was calling about. Wait, did you say you did get your you did or did not get your copy? You did, right? I I did. Okay, I did, that's good. Yes. All right, that's what you. Yeah. All right. So what's up? So uh, what I called about was I want to kind of start a group of uh, on apologetics here in our area, mm-hmm. and just wondered if you had any suggestions. And I think I got good resources with Street Smart and mm-hmm. Tactics. Mm-hmm. But uh, any other suggestions you might have? I am going to take the the Biola certificate in apologetics. Oh, good, good for you. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. do that. So I, I do have and, some uh, recommendations. Um, we just got about five minutes left here, and I want to hit some high okay. points. Um, we actually have put together a program to help people do exactly what you're asking about. We call these local groups led by a leader outposts. And so they're led by an outpost leader. You might have heard us talk about it already. And uh, we have a a, a whole program set up where you can apply uh, to be an outpost leader for your group. I mean, if you wanted to go this route, okay, outpost Mm -hmm. leader, Mm -hmm. and there's an application process. I'm trying to... 
I'm trying to think of the exact website that you go to. It's at standareason.org, but there's a place where you can learn more about outposts, where the outposts are in the country, in different states and stuff like that. And also, because we've got, we're pushing close to 100 of them now, just after one year of moving forward with this strategy. Um, and uh, and then it, there was instructions on how you can apply, okay? And so if okay. if this works out for you, then there's a there's kind of a turnkey enterprise curriculum, if you will, or they, Robbie Lashua explains, he's the director there of our whole outpost operation, explains, here's how you want to proceed with your people and meet together at certain times and maybe go through this material. So um, that's a general thing. Go to str.org and look up the outposts and follow the information regarding the outposts. That's one kind of more formalized way with instruction and guidance about how to put this together. But let me just speak in a more general sense. I talk about this at the end of the tactics book about the idea that you can't if you're at a local church and you're trying to get something going, it's kind of hard to start a fire with wet wood, you know? Right. And so in order to start a fire with wet wood, you have to have dry tinder. You have to have ignitable stuff that can thaw out the wet wood, as it were, with a small fire, and then building that. The point I make there is to find in your local community, your church or wherever it is that you are at, find the kindred spirits. Find those people in your community that 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 like apologetics or are interested in apologetics, okay? So that's going to be your core group. It might be three, four, five, six people. I don't know. Maybe it's 15 or 20. I'm not sure about your own spiritual community, but there's there are opportunities there. You talk to people. You see, find out what people are reading or whatever. Anyway, you find those people with a kindred spirit, and that's the group of people that you want to work with. They could be part of your outpost. They could be part of whatever group. If you're not going to be an official outpost, just whatever kind of group, apologetics group or, you know, loving God with your mind group or or whatever. That's a possibility. Incidentally, J.P. Moreland has written a book titled Loving Your God with All Your Mind. And in that book, it talks a little bit about how to form groups as well and how to form an apologetics thing in your church. So there's another recommendation. But but the, the, the key is you want to get kindred spirits, okay? Then what are you going to do with them when you get them together, okay? And here is where I suggest, I think getting the degree is a great idea because it deepens your understanding of the, of the field in general. But my suggestion is don't reinvent the wheel. Don't try to develop your own material, apologetics material. Rather, use others' material, okay? This okay. is why Standard Reason has STRU. You can, you can start taking STRU courses as a group, for example, and talk about them and take the test together and whatever, how that goes. You can go through a series of them. You could use a book. Uh, Frank Turek's book, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, uh, That he know, he wrote that with Norm Geisler. That's a great book. Of course, Tactics is a great book. I, w- I would go through Tactics before Street Smarts if you yeah, have a group. I'm going through that right now. Oh, okay, great. Uh, yeah. One of the things that we have for Outposts is we, we uh, I think what Robbie has him do is to do the story of reality first, which lays the foundation of the Christian worldview, 
Okay. And then the next book is the tactics book. So first you know what you're defending, and then you know how to defend it. But uh, that's an example of having some kind of curriculum in place that it's just turnkey. It's a plug and play, right? Make the coffee and turn the thing on. Um, right. Both the story of reality and the tactics and even street smarts all have video components with them. So Zondervan produces those. Actually, street smarts video won't be out for a few months. Uh, my work is done, but they're still working on it. But the other books have um, video classes you can watch. So we've got Standard Reason University, but Zondervan also has its product as well associated with these books that you can use. And um, and I would say, in general, that's the way you do it. You find your group of kindred spirits, uh, then you don't reinvent the wheel. You you find some other subject matter that you can kind of plug and play that you can all follow as a group, and then move on from one to another. And if you if you want to go formally with us, you can uh, lead an STR outpost, and all the information is online for that. Okay, so, great. All right, Larry. Great. Hey, give me. I appreciate give, it. You're so welcome. Give me a call in a couple of months and uh, let me know how things are going. Love to hear from you again. That's it for this hour, friends. Great Coco and Stand to Reason. Give them heaven, my friends. Bye bye now.